From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Former U.S. Secret Service man Gary Byrne is standing by to talk about what he witnessed while posted at the White House during the Clinton years. It's all detailed in his book, Crisis of Character. We'll get to that conversation in mere moments. Uh, Ian Robertson, our technical producer, is back after touring with his rockabilly band in La Belle Provence, Quebec, and uh, up in cottage country, too, I understand. He's on the other side of the glass, as per usual, twisting dials and knobs and helping us create some radio magic. Uh, Albert Vinzel is here, my story producer, and he's running the HOA, or Hangout on Air. Uh, you can live stream this radio program on YouTube. And uh, it's really easy, and here's how. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, Y-R-E-T-T. Go to the top or near the top of that feed, and you'll find a tweet containing uh, the HOA link. And you just click on it, and you're in. And you can watch us here in studio. Sometimes we have our guests on webcam as well, or sometimes you'll just see me. And um, we'll have a slideshow running as well. It's pretty cool technology, and it's, ha- it's helping uh, to expose uh, this program to a whole new audience. Uh, Sunday, September the 11th, Conspiracy Culture and I will be presenting Where Did the Towers Go? with Dr. Judy Wood. She was with us last week for a sneak preview. Where Did the Towers Go? with Dr. Judy Wood. That's from 1 to 4 p.m. at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium here in Toronto. And tickets are available online at strangeplanet.ca strangeplanet.ca just go to the live events page and you can also purchase tickets at Conspiracy Culture by phone, uh, in store or you can go online just visit conspiracyculture.com Where Did the Towers Go? Evidence of Directed Free Energy Technology on 9-11 that's Sunday, September the 11th JJR, JJR McLeod Auditorium here in Toronto and we hope to see you there again, strangeplanet.ca conspiracyculture.com Gary Byrne's Crisis of Character uh, contains shocking new details about the Clinton administration. Working as a member of the White House Secret Service, Byrne witnessed a severe deficit of character in the administration from Bill Clinton's many sordid affairs to Hillary Clinton's explosive temper at the smallest of infractions. And uh, that's where we're going for the next 45 minutes or so. Gary Byrne served in federal law enforcement for nearly 30 years in the U.S. Air Force Security Police, the Uniformed Division of the Secret Service, and most recently as a federal air marshal. While serving as a Secret Service officer, Gary protected President Bill Clinton and the first family in the White House. Gary Byrne, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Uh, first of all, let, let's. Um, uh, critics have come after you and, and said, uh, "Listen, you were in the uniform division, not the presidential protection uh, division. Therefore, you wouldn't have had access to the Clintons." And you, I don't need to tell you all this. You've heard it uh, ad nauseum. Sure. But just first of all, clarify what's the difference in terms of where you're posted in the two divisions: the uniform division, which you served in, and then the presidential protection division. So. The Secret Service is a pretty good-sized agency, and you have the, the agents who run the agents, and then you have different divisions. And, of course, like you said, I was in the Uniform Division. And the jobs of the Uniform Division are 
uh, fixed posts around the White House inside uh, the West Wing, East Wing, the mansion, and then fixed posts outside on the fence line, the protection um, for an overt attack. The Uniform Division also uh, mans the emergency response teams that are there to uh, the Uniform Division emergency response teams to um, repel an attack. And then the Uniform Division also does the metal detectors around the country and around the world with the President Travels. They do the bomb-sniffing dogs. They do the canine, uh, excuse me, canine bomb-sniffing dogs and also the counter-sniper teams. Um, the, the, the way it works, uh, when you get in the Uniform Division, you're, you're, everybody is uh, stationed in Washington, D.C. And I was stationed in at the White House, um, right outside the Oval Office, with the Clintons for three years, and I protected them uh, the whole eight years that they were there. And the idea that these these people, uh, these they're actually retired Secret Service agents who are who are who are uh, slandering me, is um, basically it's their ego. They don't want to admit. You know, first of all, these guys, these two guys that are so prominent, they weren't even working there when I was there. But um, the, the the thing you have to remember is, unfortunately, my claim to fame is is I was the first employee of the Secret Service to ever be compelled to testify against a sitting president in a criminal case. That was the Monica Lewinsky uh, uh, situation. Yeah, that's right. So the idea that I didn't witness these things is ridiculous because I was subpoenaed six times. And then eventually um, the chief of the U.S. Supreme Court ordered me to testify or go to jail. So um, these people are just uh, clearly supporters of the Clintons. Um, and um, everything in my book is true. And, and, uh, and i be honest with you, I swear to it. Now, you also uh, you, did you serve in the the Bush uh, Papa Bush President Bush forty one? Did you serve in, at that White House as well? I did. I actually I, I like to say that I, I came in with Papa Bush and I left with Son Bush. I came in in uh, nineteen ninety one and I left. I transferred to the Air Marshals in two thousand three when George W. Bush was president. Now, when uh, is there an unwritten rule, for example, that that the Secret Service, you know, they're not supposed to write about what goes on, you know, what what goes on in the White House stays at the White House. I mean, did you is is there an unwritten rule here that you've broken? No, that's true. Um, that's true. And, and here's the way. Here's the way. You know, the truth is, I never ever thought I would talk about these things. I thought I would take them to the grave. And um, about two years ago. Um, a friend of mine approached me, and over the years, many people have approached me, professional writers, news agencies, and I've always said no, you know, that I wasn't interested. And things changed about two years ago. And basically, my mission now um, is to let the American people know who the real Hillary Clinton is. Look, if they still want to vote for fine, that's our system. But I want them to know the truth is, I see this fictitious Hillary Clinton that they're that they're putting forward on the on the news, and this is not the real Hillary Clinton. The real Hillary Clinton is the woman that I described in my book, who is dangerous, uh, violent, um, who is um, uh, gets wrapped around the axle, has this terrible temper, and walks around and treats everybody like she's a dictator, and everybody else is some kind of worthless subject, and uh, and that's the real Hillary Clinton. So you don't have a political axe to grind, are you? Are Secret Service agents even allowed to vote? Yeah, sure. We, Secret Service employees vote like everybody else. You know, we're encouraged to keep our political views to ourselves. And I did for many years. You know, have no doubt in your mind, if I was still in the Secret Service Uniform Division and she got elected president, I would protect her to 100% of my ability, no matter what. Um, but, you know, like I said, after 29 years of serving in the government and, and watching and saw what I saw, I thought it was time for me to tell my side of the story. 
Because just like now, now of course, of course now I've brought this on myself. But let's think about how I got here. I got here because her president, her husband, who was president at the time, got caught in one of the many affairs that he had and wasn't man enough to come forward and tell the truth. And in this in this investigation, and that's how myself and these other secret service employees got drugged into. So um, you know, the ideal that you're never supposed to talk is not necessarily. I mean. It sounds great, and it sounds good in a movie, but, you know, there's been many Secret Service employees that have written books over the years. And uh, the reason mine has struck a nerve is because they can't really dispute it. And they know the fact that I, was, that I testified under oath to a lot of these things, that my word is solid, and, and it scares them. Now, we, we've had uh, uh, Gary Byrne is with us, the author of Crisis of Character. He was uh, U.S. Secret Service posted uh, right outside the Oval Office during the, the Clinton years. And uh, this book uh, details some shocking revelations about uh, the behavior, the explosive temper, for example, and we'll get into all of this, of, of, of Hillary Clinton. Uh, we've, we've heard disturbing things about uh, the occupants of the White House. Uh, Richard Nixon, um, at, at one time it was, you know, it, it was revealed that um, he would be in sort of a drug-induced haze and, and uh, he'd be sitting in the White House in the Oval Office uh, completely nude. Uh, we, we, we were familiar with Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, incredible temper, uh, once described by members of his own staff, went behind his back and had him diagnosed by, as a, by a psychiatrist as a complete sociopath. Um, we've heard these things before. So what's what's so unusual about... Uh, a first lady having, for an example, an explosive temper or being verbally abusive to security officers. I mean, is this is this so unusual? Yeah, well, it's not. Here's the thing. It may, you know, I don't know if uh, I never heard the story about President Nixon sitting around it, uh, uh, naked, which kind of strikes me as funny. But here's the thing. Regardless of who did it, you know, if Nixon was a tyrant, if, if if, if um, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson was a tyrant, here's the thing. You wouldn't tolerate that from anybody that you work for. You know, a lot of people judge the people around them by the way they treat. You know, if you go into a restaurant with somebody, let's say a new client or a new boss, and they treat the waiter or waitress like crap, that says something about them. Absolutely it does. Yes, you're right. And, and when it comes to somebody like Mrs. Clinton, now you have to remember, she was the first lady. And she, her main job was to be a, the social, run the social office. That's traditionally what first ladies did. But President Clinton gave her all this responsibility with, with no, really no authority. And, and, you know, when she first, when he first got in office in the early 90s, and have no doubt in your mind, when the American people voted Bill Clinton in office, they got Bill and Hillary. Yeah, they, they, they touted it. It's a two for one deal. She was touted right. as and the co-president. And it's going to be the same thing over again. Yes. And, yes. and here's my, here's one of my, questions when people, you know, they get so excited about, it. you know, liberals who in this country who support her get so excited about it. My first question is, if she wins and he and he's back in the White House, what steps is she going to take to protect the women that are going to be working in the White House? Because we know what he did before. Now he's going to have, you know, really no responsibility but to run around and chase women. You know, I just find it bizarre that people think this is a great idea. Well, we will we'll get into the um, you know the verbal and and physically abusive sure. behavior. But I, I once you because you mentioned the women, uh, and Bill Clinton was a sexual is a sexual predator. 
Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm convinced that that the Juanita Broderick uh, story is is true. Um, was there the the, the, uh, the story goes that there was uh, something called the Bimbo Eruption Team that Clinton uh, Hillary Clinton was in charge of, and any time. One of these stories came forward about one of Bill's dalliances, or he groped somebody. It was Hillary's job to harass that person. We'll, we'll get into that in a moment because uh, the uh, the break is coming up here. We'll uh, sure. we'll talk about that. We'll also get into, as I say, uh, the uh, physical and verbal abusive or abuse to security officers of Hillary Rod- Rodham Clinton and much more. Gary Byrne, Crisis of Clinton. Stay with us. Where there's smoke. There's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Gary Byrne is with us, and he was with the Secret Service, posted directly outside President Bill Clinton's Oval Office. And in his new book, Crisis of Character, a White House Secret Service officer discloses his firsthand experience with Hillary, Bill, and how they operate. Uh, number one New York Times bestseller. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing. We have Gary's book, number one New York Times bestseller. We have Denise D'Souza's documentary, Hillary's America, which within weeks became one of the top selling political documentaries of all time. And yet, you know, they are not being openly discussed on, on CNN and ABC and CBS and so forth. Are you surprised at the reaction of the, uh, the MSM, the mainstream media, Gary, to your book or lack of no. reaction? No, actually, I'm not. I'm not surprised at all, but I'm disappointed. I, I at least, you know, it's funny, and I'm sure you you, un, you know this, following these things as closely as you do. They have plenty of time for people to come on and defame myself and Dinesh D'Souza and anybody else that speaks up against the Clintons and tells the truth. They have plenty of time to defame us and rip us apart on their TV stations, but they don't have the 10 minutes it would take to have me on there. Uh, in in a, an adult discussion and explain my story that this isn't about politics. This is about a, a police officer who wants the truth out there. Somebody who's now retired, who got where he was by taking a polygraph test, a lie detector test, and wants people to know who the real Hillary Clinton is. And uh, but they don't want that. They just want their message, which is you know everything is uh, is lolly uh, lollipops and uh, gumdrops, and it's not true. All right. Uh, I, before the break, I asked you about the the bimbo eruption team, and uh, I think James Carvell actually admitted to this. And, yeah. and Hillary Clinton, her job was, uh, you know, when these women, uh, these victims, uh, came forward uh, to complain. Of course, in, in some cases, it was just settled out of court. In other cases, these women were destroyed, and it was Hillary's job. They, she would sick the IRS on them. She would have them harassed by private uh, in, uh, detectives. Um, did you catch wind of that? Was this well known in the White House at the time by your detail? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. One of the, a lot of people never really made this connection. One of the first things, the goofy things that they did when they got into the White House was they fired the White House barber. Now, you're probably thinking, what the heck is Gary talking about? The White House had its own barber up until the Clintons got there. The guy had worked there for many years, and the White House barbershop existed for probably 100 years. And it was on the ground floor of the White House, pretty close to the, to the doors that, that go out, or even the doors to the national, or to the um, situation room. Anyway, they got in there, and they said, well, we don't need a barbershop because Bill Clinton gets his hair cut for $200, uh, you know, a pop on, an air, on the airplane. So they... Um, they removed the barbershop, and that's the room, the space they use for these people uh, who who were in charge of the bimbo eruptions or scandal eruptions 
at the White House. That's where they work down in that space. And yes, I, we did hear about it. And you did, you know, I know who the people are. One of them is actually running Hillary's campaign today. And um, it, it's just, yeah, I mean, there was no, it was no secret. And one of the other stories, uh, you mentioned the, the one woman that, that you said you believed. Juanita Broderick, one, yeah. Yes, and I believe her too. I, listen, if you took her same story and she went to any police station in Canada, in the United States, anywhere, and she showed them a picture of a man and told them that story, they would go and investigate. But because it's Bill Clinton, he gets a pass. And because his wife is part of this bizarre behavior of theirs. I mean, when you sit back and you look at it now, I mean, this is really some bizarre, you know, behavior. This is so antisocial and so uh, crazy criminal. And then if you look at the story of um, um, uh, Wiley, um, uh her last name was oh, Ka- Kathleen Willie. Kathleen Willie. Willie, I'm sorry. Yes. Kathleen Willie. Same thing with her. You listen to her story. And I, now here's the thing about her story, why it strikes me so hard. It's because she's describing the spaces that I worked in. When she describes what happened to her, she's describing the space between the Oval Office and the dining room. You don't, nobody sees that unless he takes you back there. The, the only other people in the, you know, were the first family that saw those spaces or some of the senior staff. Or of course the Secret Service. Her story rings as true as anybody else's. And this, she alleges that, that President Clinton basically pushed her up against the wall and groped yes. her. Yes. Meanwhile, at that exact moment, her husband uh, allegedly shot himself uh, in the head uh, and um, was found later. Yeah. She went there to ask him for help. She had helped in his campaign. She was a volunteer, and she was so well liked and known that she was able to pick up the phone and get an appointment. To see the president, and then he treats her like that. I'm sorry, that's unacceptable behavior. And Mrs. Clinton clearly supports it, but nobody wants to. You know, a lot of people don't want to see that. And yet, she uh, and 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 why a lot of these women are coming forward now? I mentioned the Juanita Brodericks and the Kathleen Willies. While it, why they would prefer just to forget about it, now they're coming forward because Hillary Clinton actually had the temerity to go uh, on the campaign trail and say all victims of of rape should be must be believed. And yet right. she had a hand, according to these these women, in destroying their lives to keep them quiet. Yes, you're exactly right. And you know, there's something else I'd like your listeners to know about. Is, you know, the, the, the real Hillary Clinton that I described in my book. Now, if you go back to the early 1970s, we had President Richard Nixon. And he was invest, under investigation for the Watergate scandal. Now, Hillary Clinton was hired to be an investigative attorney during the Watergate scandal. The lead Democrat that hired her, he fired her shortly after, saying she was dishonest. Now, that's a significant thing. And everybody seems to ignore it. Now, if you fast forward to what has happened, you know, what she did as Secretary of State, the Benghazi incident, the incident with the email server, how is it that somebody is a U.S. senator for eight years and doesn't know how secure email is used? It's not believable. It's complete a complete and utter lie, and she's not fit to lead this country. She's not fit to lead anything. Uh, tell me about uh, incidents where she was verbally and physically abusive to either you or mem- other members of, of uh, the security detail, the, the Secret sure. Service. Sure. So, so uh, the first one is, you know, when this stuff happened to me, it never bothered me because it's me and, and, and I handled it well. Uh, and I never really took her serious. I almost, you know, you almost wanted to laugh in her face when she'd yell at you. But one time I was posted outside the Oval Office, 
around Christmas, and she, and she came over. Her staff member came over and wanted to do something with bringing these, uh, I think it was about 30, roughly, uh, volunteers from Arkansas into the Oval Office while the president wasn't there for a tour to make them feel special. And I said, you know, it was fine to bring them over, but once the tour was over, they had to leave the room. You couldn't leave them. So the staff member berated me. Later on, the first lady came back, came down, and, you know, walked up to me and said, I hear we're having a problem again with, you know, you guys, the uniform division she was referring to. And then she, you know, and then she called us a bunch of a-holes and said that they, they should have fired us when they first got there. Now, this is a woman who runs on these, she wants these big government liberal programs with all these rules and regulations, but she doesn't want to follow them herself. And it's just another example of there's two standards. There's the Clintons that do whatever they want, and then everybody else in the United States has to follow these rules and regulations and, you know, be good citizens. And, and, and they're not. Well, so, and, and perhaps even more to the point, she she has made a, a, every opportunity, she's made the point about uh, her, her, her political rival's temperament. Trump right. doesn't have the temperament to be president. Right. And yet, as you detail in this book, chapter and verse... It's, that's exactly the, the, the problem with Hillary Clinton is she does not have the temperament. You, you, you write about just simply saying good morning to her uh, could incite abuse. Absolutely. One of my coworkers is walking down the West Colonnade after being up all night protecting her and her family and uh, says good morning, First Lady, and she tells him to go up himself. Now, all these stories that I detail in my book, I know they're true because... They were investigated. The Secret Service investigates everything that happens when it's something between the protecting and one of the agents or officers. And it was it was investigated just like a couple other incidents similar to that. And basically the Secret Service says, we believe you, we know what happened, and we're sorry, but she hates us. And it became very clear that Mrs. Clinton, in my eight years, and I, I have no problem saying this, she despises law enforcement and she despises the military. And she shows that on many, many occasions. Is part of the uh, the problem here that she has some sort of a paranoid uh, outlook uh, with, with authority, and perhaps because you, some of your detail, and you personally were were had served the uh, the Bushes previously, yeah. was she paranoid? Did she think you were out to get her? Yeah, I don't I don't know if she really thought we were out to get her, but she certainly was paranoid about politics and and for me and and my 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 read on her after protecting her for eight years and what i've seen since then everything in her life revolves about around politics she doesn't really have it's almost like she's dysfunctional in a way and she just everything is about politics and yes they did show signs of paranoia um, i talk about in my book when they first got in the office and this also shows that you have reckless they are with money and how they they think there's they can do whatever they want without any rules or regulations about three years before they got elected, the Bush administration had put in this really high-end, state-of-the-art telephone system from AT&T. When the Clintons got in there, they decide somebody gets it in their in their ear that, that, that they think that the phone system is tapped and it's feeding information to the um, Republican Party. So they replace the phone system. They, they have AT&T. You know, they tell them to replace it. It costs a fortune. I mean, if you could imagine how many thousands of phones there are in the White House complex. The White House complex is the old executive office building, the Treasury Department, the new executive office building, and the White House East and West Wings. Thousands of telephones. And they have the whole system replaced. And and I got this right from the AT&T technician that worked in the, in the White House, the station in the White House. He said once it was all installed, all the new computers and phones, 
and then they wanted to get paid for it, the Clintons said, what do you mean pay for it? They didn't have a budget for it. They, they just thought they could do whatever they wanted. So they had, you know, millions of dollars spent on replacing a phone system that didn't even replace, and they had no way to pay for it. Gary Byrne is with us, uh, the author of Crisis of Character, and he was with the Uniform Division of the uh, Secret Service and was posted right outside the Oval Office uh, during the Clinton White House years. Uh, speaking of phone lines, uh, Gary, you, you talk about in the book, this is <laughs> rather disturbing now, shifting the uh, the focus from Hillary uh, to Bill for a minute. Uh, there is a, um, a, a special phone line that is, I mean, it's top secret, and it is, it's, it's supposed to connect only with senior military brass. And I'm thinking, you know, in the event of some sort of, uh, military emergency, I don't right. know if this is the line where they call to engage nukes or not, but this is a senior yeah. military brass secret line. And, and you say Bill Clinton gave Monica Lewinsky, Lewinsky access to this top secret phone line. Yeah. So this phone line, um, it, it, it's not really like, uh, it's not really like the bat phone, but what it is, it's a, it's a private line that sits on the behind the president's Oval Office desk on this credenza, and it's just an old uh, push-button, you know, uh, digital phone. But um, and what it's for is, if if the president wants uh, communications with somebody, anytime you make a um, a phone call at the White House or to the White House to see the president, it goes through the White House switchboard. This is a, a private line where you can dial the president directly. And like I said, like you described, very few people have um, senior military people, chief of the CIA, director of the FBI, that kind of thing. And they would only call it if it was really important. Otherwise, they'd go through the switchboard. Well, during the, the, the time when President Clinton and Michael Lewinsky were having this affair, you know, in the beginning, I tried to cut them the benefit of the doubt. I didn't want to believe it was happening. I knew what his reputation was, but Jesus, she was like, you know, a little, only a little older than his daughter at the time. She was about 22. So anyway, um, one day she shows up at the Oval Office, and I had, re- you know, rebuffed her and, and basically repelled her away a couple times. But she shows up, and she says that um, she, it was a Saturday. There was no staff in. It was just the president at the time of the Oval Office. And um, she shows up with a stack of papers. It was basically newspaper clippings. And I told her, no, you couldn't bother him. Go away. So she disappeared. And the agent kind of looked at me like, you know, whatever. And so a couple minutes later, the Oval Office door opens up, and there's President Clinton. He says, hey, have you seen anybody looking for me, trying to deliver something? And I'm like, oh, here we go. And I'm like, yeah, um, okay, I'll keep an eye out. You know, I, I didn't come out and say, yeah, I just booted her out. But it was clear at that point, that was the day where I realized that, it, you know, it was probably true, and that's what he wanted. So, you know, anyway, so a couple minutes later, she came back you know, all sheepishly, and I knocked on the door, um, waited three seconds, I opened the door, and I let her in. And um, the, and it came out later in the investigation that the only way that she that he could have known that I repelled her was that she had to call him and say, this guy said I couldn't come in. So, um, so yeah, that's how she got in contact with him. She had called right. him on that, on that private line. Yeah, you write that you saw her call him from the Roosevelt room. With, uh, actually, she called... My coworker saw her. She ah. yeah. She went into the Roosevelt room and she called from there. That's that's correct. She called on this hyper secure phone line that requires a four digit password. Yeah, so that's right. You dial the number, and then there's a four digit code that went with it, and you just couldn't dial. You had to dial it in almost a rhythmic tone, you know. And um, 
Uh, so anyway, it was very bizarre, and and that's when it kind of sent the message that you know this guy is who, really who he appears to be. Well, and, but think. Let's think about that. He he gave her the four digit password. Uh, to this hyper-secure phone line that's reserved for military brass, he gave that to a 22-year-old intern. Yes. That's unthinkable. Yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. I agree 100%. And 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 the funny thing is, is, is you know, a good portion of these people, the, the good portion of, of, of Americans want to put them back in office. And uh, when you try to tell them these, these things... You know, I mean, I've got good family members, people that I've known my entire life that, you know, were that are 15 years older than me and that helped me when I was a baby, and they won't read my book. I mean, these are people that, you know, they're, they're, they're liberals, that's fine, they're Democrats, but these are people I've known my entire life, and they don't want to read my book because they don't want to believe it. And they know if they read it, it'll be true, and, and it's just so bizarre when you... It's like it's like the Clintons have some kind of magic spell over people's. Well, they know, did, but they did, but hopefully not too much longer. Uh, right. Gary, hold on. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. We'll talk about the time Hillary gave Bill a black eye. Gary Byrne, crisis of character, right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome back. Just a, uh, a programming note uh, coming up next week. David Rothschild, uh, an economist with uh, Microsoft. No, not uh, David Rothschild of the banking dynasty uh, Rothschilds, but uh, interesting nonetheless. And he's uh, made quite a reputation for his ability to predict. Uh, he's not a soothsayer. Uh, he's not a psychic, but he employs certain protocols and techniques, I guess, using data to predict the outcomes of uh, elections and even the Oscars. And he has quite a track record. So he'll give us a lowdown on the uh, the race for the White House. David Rothschild coming up next uh, week on the program. Right now, Gary Byrne stays with us, former Secret Service man who was posted outside the Oval Office during the Clinton White House years. And his book... Number one bestseller, New York Times bestseller, Crisis of Character. We began the show, I was asking Gary about, you know, accusations that uh, he didn't have access to the Clintons. He was in the uniform division and so forth, and he kind of set that straight. But let me just read a, a little uh, squib here from uh, Breitbart. Author and former investigative reporter for the Washington Post and Boston Herald, Ron Kessler. Now, keep in mind, the Washington Post and Boston Herald, both pretty liberal uh, newspapers, Kessler, again, who writes for both the Post and the Herald, is backing up assertions from former Secret Service agent Gary Burns' forthcoming book, Crisis of Character. Kessler told the Boston Herald, I think it's right on. It has to do with her character, the hypocrisy of someone who claims to help the country, and yet she can't bring herself to treat other human beings who are less powerful than she with respect and dignity. Someone like that can really get out of control once they get in the White House. They have all the power and they become even more arrogant. And again, that's from Ron Kessler, an investigative reporter from uh, the Washington Post and Boston Herald, and essentially he is backing up what Gary Byrne writes in Crisis of Character. All right, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the infamous incident where you observed, a number of staff members observed, Bill Clinton with a black eye. Tell us what happened. One morning I came in to work and Instead of going right to my post, I had a little time, so I went over to the mansion to see a friend of mine. And on the way over to the mansion, I ran into a couple of the housemen that work in the White House. These are the people that take care of the, the first family, regardless of, you know, who's in office. And they said, hey, you missed a big fight last night. The Clintons had this huge argument. 
just to put in perspective to your listeners, it's not like everybody stands around and listens to what these people are doing. But the White House is a really big old stone and steel building. And when they people start yelling in rooms, you know, the sound travels downstairs through the, the hallways and the elevator shafts and stairwells. So anyway, the fight got so loud, the argument upstairs in the private living quarters got so loud that some of this, you know, they became alarmed. And then at one point, there was a crashing sound, and later on, when the crashing sound was investigated, they found a broken blue vase. Now, when I went over to see my friend the next morning, and he told me this, as soon as he was done talking to me, I walked a couple doors down from where I was to the White House curator's office, and I looked inside, and sure enough, in the cardboard box was the broken blue vase, mostly blue with a little bit of white in this small cardboard box. Now, the White House curator's office, these are the people that take care of all the artwork and artifacts in the yeah, Essentially, the White House is a museum. I mean, they are it living is. in a museum. It's this incredible functioning museum. It's, it's wonderful. So I go to my post over outside the hall, and later on, when the president shows up, he's clearly got a black mark, a black eye under his one eye, and he's trying to conceal it with makeup. So this concerned me, and, and you know, but you got to be careful how you tread. So I said to this couple of staff members, his assistant and his secretary, I said, oh, what's that mark on the president's eye? And his assistant, who had been working with him for years since Arkansas, had said, oh, he's allergic to coffee. And I said, he's allergic to coffee under one eye? And um, <laughs> anyway, I left it at that. But after that point, we actually became concerned that, you know, not only, you know, we were trained to protect the president from assassins and, and people with guns and bombs and, and um but, you know, what do you do if he's attacked by the First Lady? And that was some of our concerns. We talked about it openly amongst ourselves where, you know, if the, if, Bill, if Hillary Clinton found Bill Clinton having one of these affairs, was she violent enough to actually attack him? Would we have to split them up? And uh, so, you know, it was, it was just another concern with their behavior. So you were, you were able to put, you and the other staff members were able to put two and two together, piece it together, and so she threw this vase, and went, this vase, I don't know, how old was it? Did it go back to the Jefferson White House years? Who knows? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember how old the vase was, but here's the fact. There was a really bad argument. There was a crashing sound, there was a broken vase, and then the next day, the next time I saw the president, he had a black mark clearly under his eye, and he was trying to conceal it with makeup. Now, I don't know how the vase got broken, but, you know, did she throw it at him? Did she knock it off during the fight? Who knows? I don't know how he got the black eye. I can tell you that the gardener didn't hit him. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it, it, but here's the thing. It fills in the blanks of all the bizarre behavior we heard about them when they were in Arkansas. He was attorney general when he became the governor of Arkansas. All the stories that they didn't deny and said was nothing but Arkansas politics were all true. She's a very violent person, and he acts in a way that continuously triggers this violence. All right, we'll uh, take another time out. Gary Burns stays with us. Crisis of character. Shocking new details about the Clinton administration. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Gary Burns stays with us. Crisis of character. U.S. Secret Service man posted outside the Oval Office during the Clinton White House years. Hillary, of course, has championed the uh, the ban on assault weapons. And uh, depending on who you talk to, she's either looking at, at the very least 
bringing about more gun control, more regulations, or the, the, the sort of the extreme end of uh, the spectrum, those who believe that she's actually looking at getting rid of the Second Amendment, which, of course, she couldn't do. But you can, you know, peck to death by sparrows. You can right. ban this and ban that and regulate this and regulate that. So essentially the Second Amendment wouldn't have any teeth. However, you say that uh, despite, you know, Hillary, on at least on the campaign trail, uh, talking about uh, banning assault weapons, you say she actually loves to shoot them. Well, yeah. Uh, this one particular uh, thing that I witnessed, uh, I was stationed out at, at the training center and um they were i was doing their second um uh president bill clinton's second term and they came out we, we called a dog and pony show the protectee comes out and we show them the procedures that we use to protect them and why we do it and not only why we do it but you know um how we do it um you know we do certain things for certain trips or for certain protectees that so one of the things that we do, we put on a demonstration for the weapons that we use. And, and actually, some, in this case, we were showing the weapons that the Secret Service used to use many, many years ago. One of them was the Thompson submachine gun. And at the time, I was actually not an instructor. I was on, at, the, at the training center on the security detail. But because I had worked outside the Oval Office, the protection detail asked if I would come out onto the range just to make them more comfortable because of, uh, you know, I was a familiar face because I'd been around the White House for so many years and um so anyway I, I was grateful for the invitation and i was there and and um the first lady was uh they, they showed her the thompson's submachine gun they loaded it for her they showed her how to fire it and she's firing it with the with the stock underneath her arm and the first burst of, of fire um that you know when she pulled the trigger she gets about five rounds and the first burst of ammunition hits the target right in the crotch area and it was just so, I mean, you couldn't, a, a, a Saturday Night Live skit couldn't have been this humorous. Right, I it's mean, like the Ed Ames tomahawk throw on The Tonight Show, for those yeah. old enough to remember it. Yeah, it was hilarious. And, it, it, you know, the verse went right through the crotch area of the target. And we all just kind of stared at it, and we looked at her, and then we looked back at President Clinton, and he had this really funny look on his face. And, uh, and it was just, you couldn't, I mean, the, the things going through everybody's head, you could just tell what it was. You couldn't have wrote it any funnier. And it was clear, you know, it had been about a year, maybe a year and a half after the Lewinsky uh, and things had settled down. But clearly, uh, that was something that was on the president's mind that day when, you know, because everybody just thought it was hilarious. But she took great delight in, in firing off, the, you know, this Thompson yes. machine gun and so forth. Yes, she was not afraid of it at all. Absolutely not. No, she was not. And, I mean, she's being instructed by, you know, some of the best in the world. Uh, at what they do, but you know, she, no, she she jumped right into it, and it was one of those times, you know, and that's one of the reasons I put it in the book because you know I, I want to give a fair, you know, I want to give a fair picture of of who they really are, and you know, for somebody who touts firearms that are so evil and dangerous, she certainly seemed to enjoy them herself. You talk about the young staffers uh, that they brought in uh, to the White House, uh, radical young people that were defacing, literally defacing White House property, priceless antiques and artwork yeah. inside the White House. Tell me about that. Yeah, so it was about it was approximately the first week they were in office. I was standing outside my post outside the Oval Office, and um, and um, just just to give you your your listeners an idea, like you know, I didn't particularly care for the Clinton's politics, but I was very excited to watch the transition. So I'm standing post one night, and this this 
guy walks up. He's kind of short and heavy set, and he had a, a temporary pass, which meant eventually, once once they're done screening these people and doing their background checks, that he would have a regular hard temporary pass, and he'd be allowed access. So with him, he has a visitor that he's escorting, and this visitor is real tall and skinny. Anyway, that's the first guy, kind of short guy, walks up to me, and around his neck he has this beautiful um, necklace. It's it's a, it looks like a piece of, of leather with these big metal rings, you know, pretty good size, about the size of a quarter, maybe bigger, in different colors. And he walks up, and he puts his thumb underneath the necklace, and he pushes it right up like to my face, and he says, this is my gay freedom necklace. And I said, well, okay, good for you. You know, what do you say to that? And I guess he, I thought, you know, I felt like he was trying to provoke a reaction, like, because I was a police officer, that I was anti-gay or, you know, that I was, there was something, you know, wrong with what he was doing. And I just smiled and I said, well, you know, it's nice to meet you and, and good luck with that. And, um, you know, it was kind of awkward. And then he, he said, you know, he, they stood there and they were looking at the Oval Office and, and he said, I said to the guest, I said, you know, may I see your pass? And the guy, and I heard this a couple times in the beginning from staff members, oh, well, you don't have to understand, we're in charge now. And I'm like, oh, okay, it doesn't really work that way, but whatever. You know, so he stood there for a couple of minutes and talking, and then they started walking down the hallway, and his friend with him started peeling these stick, stickers off, and he was sticking them on the furniture. Well, you know, I'm very protective of the White House. And so I said, stop, and, and I went down there, and he was sticking these gay pride stickers on the very expensive wooden furniture, the walls, you know, the door jams, um, right. a, 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 the edge of a frame of a painting. And again, you ha- so, it has nothing to do with the content of the sticker. No. It, you, it was the fact that they were putting, you, you know, I, I know my, my kids, you know, they put stickers on the wall. You just painted the wall. It doesn't matter what the sticker is. The fact is there's glue on there. Right, exactly. And so, you know, you, you said it exactly right. And I don't care if there were free coupons for, you know, the Chinese buffet. Stop. You know, so... I, I, I made a radio call. A sergeant and an officer showed up. They were escorted out. Um, we had to call, had the General Services Administration and some some uh, ladies and gentlemen from the White House um, uh, executive residence desk come over and remove the stickers because if we were afraid if you just pulled them off that we would pull off the finish, you know, and, and ruin something. So anyway, that was one of the first examples we saw of their their kind of immature attitude and like they got elected. Like these people acted like they got elected, and so none of the rules apply to anybody but us. They were like kids and, in a candy store. They uh, were. They uh, were. They're, true or false? The, we've heard this repeated off times, but uh, did you catch wind of the fact that the Clintons were renting out the Lincoln bedroom? Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I saw the stories. You know, I, I can't remember if I knew it was kind of happening already, or I saw the story in the paper, but the first time I saw the story in the paper, it didn't surprise me because I knew it was already happening. We See, here's the thing you have to remember. And, and you know, the Secret Service has a lot of issues with the way they manage their employees. Set that aside. I talk about it in my book. Um, but but the Secret Service is a pretty serious organization. And, and every morning in roll call, the Uniform Division, every morning we went through a reading of what was going on that day. And we knew everybody that was staying in the White House. So if 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 the head of Microsoft or Barbara Streisand or somebody was staying there, you knew about it at each roll call because God forbid something happened and there was some kind of 
you know, disaster. Of course. We need to know who else we're rescuing. You know, once we rescue the, uh, the protectees and get them protected, you know, we need to know who else we have to go after. So we, we knew these people were staying there. We knew, you know, we, we heard about it every day. You came in in day work, on day shift. They read, they told you who was staying in the mansion that, the night before. They told you who was scheduled to stay in the mansion that afternoon. So you knew everything that was going on. And yeah, I had no, I have no doubt that that was true. Absolutely, I saw it happen. So they would literally rent out if if they had a friend or an acquaintance that wanted to sleep in the Lincoln bedroom, they would charge them money that would go into their pocket, and they would have. Who knows who you're going to find in the Lincoln bedroom on any given day? Right. So the way I understood it at the time was, it was for political donations. So let's say you're the the head of a steel company, and you know somewhere in the country, and you want to impress your wife or girlfriend, you donate a certain amount of money. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember it was at least $100,000. It was a significant amount of money. You would donate that to the Democratic Party or to their campaign, and then you'd be allowed to come and visit, and you'd get to see the president, and you know, and then uh, you would get to stay over. And uh, it was a very, very expensive uh, hotel. Pay for yet, play. Pay for play. Yeah, well, <laughs> she, they've, they've certainly honed that to a fine art with the Clinton Foundation, as we're, we're beginning incredible. to understand. Yeah, that's it. You're, you're exactly right. You know, it's, it's unbelievable, uh, the, you know, the disregard for the sanctity, really, of, of the office in the White House. The other story, of course, is when they were leaving office, you know, this is like, your worst nightmare, like a really bad house guest who steals, who pockets silverware. Uh, but they were actually, they were caught taking items that belonged to the, the citizens of the United States. They were state gifts or they were uh, well, things like, you know, fine dinnerware. And, and is, did you witness any of that? Well, I didn't actually witness it, but here's, here's how I know it happened. Now, I mentioned earlier about the White House Curator's Office. Now, you can imagine the White House is very particular about keeping track of everything. Everything is written down. There's a logbook for it. If something gets damaged, for instance, one time a piece of furniture got damaged, and they take that piece of furniture and they repair it, and they write down in this book, you know, furniture damaged by this. It was repaired on this day. It was returned back to where it was supposed to be. So when this stuff started missing, it wasn't listened. The White House knows what's theirs. Trust me. And, you know, what are the chances that the family that moved in from the Arkansas governor's mansion had something that was going to get mixed up? You know, they, they were trying to say, oh, no, it was just a mistake. We brought it from Arkansas. My, my, you know, no way. And um, No, so the, were, the only thing the Clintons would eat off of in Arkansas, I'm guessing, would be from the Franklin Mint. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, I, I don't know exactly what they ate off of, but I do know that the, there was some furniture missing. One of the things that were described to me by the, the people that managed the White House was a, a hassock, like something you put your feet on that was very old and, um, and antique and, uh, and a couple other things. Um, now I've, I've heard, I've heard about the silverware and stuff that I don't have any recollection of, but I do know there was stuff missing and I do know they supposedly still have it today. Wow. Well, um, you know, it's, uh, first of all, congratulations on the book. And uh, it is disappointing that the uh, the MSM hasn't given it a fair hearing, but we shouldn't be surprised at this point. Where is the MSM? You know, the fourth estate now, uh, what, 4% approval rating? I mean, it's lower than Congress. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. Anyway, it's been a delight uh, speaking with you, Gary, and uh, thank you for spending some time with us. 
Thank you. I greatly appreciate this opportunity. If it wasn't for radio stations, radio shows like yourself, nobody would know about my book. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to talk about Crisis of Character. My pleasure. Gary Byrne, Crisis of Character. It's available on Amazon. All right. My website, strangeplanet.ca, that's your portal to this program. There's a radio page, there's a TV page, there's a live events page. Go in, explore. In the meantime, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, and follow the truth. 